You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature Podcast. Today's topic is Nakash Shinar Babel. And when I talked to Father Paul about this, I could see my phone with his response lighting up with joy. My joy lies in the fact or is connected to the fact, and it is a fact that definitely shows very clearly the interconnection between the biblical texts and more specifically how Ezekiel is the father of scripture. He influenced very much Genesis and Leviticus and thus the law. And I discuss this very much in detail in my lengthy commentary on Ezekiel. Actually, Ezekiel is my longest commentary with one Corinthians. We have three words, Bika'ah, Shinar, and Babel, mainly the first two, that are found in Ezekiel, and they are central to Ezekiel, and then they are found here in Genesis. In a nutshell, the sin of humanity in Genesis 11, that is punished by a direct intervention of God after the flood, is precisely what we hear happened when the exiles were in Babel, Babylon. Babel, that is the word in Hebrew. At the beginning, usually translations stick with Babel because there is a play on that term, as we shall see. But then it's rendered as Babylon. So let's keep this in mind. Bik'ah is a very important word, which is rarely found in the Bible. And it is found five times in Ezekiel referring to the place where Ezekiel met the Lord in his glory. And Bikha is a very interesting word. Until now, in Arabic, it's common. Anyone knows what Bikha is. When you have a spot on your shirt while you're eating, we call it Bukha. It's a small spot that you can see, but the main thing that it is small. The famous valley in Lebanon between the mountains of Lebanon and anti-Lebanon is called the Bikah in Arabic, which is the plural of Bikah. In other words, you have many spots of water and thus fountains, but again, little small ones, and that's why it is very prosperous in fruits. It's a spot of, let's use that terminology, of living water. It gives you life, but it's very small. It's not a huge river like the Euphrates. And thus, there is always that hope that you will not be flooded. You will have life. But then you have always to remember that you are bound by this small quantity of water. Just a little bit. It will never grow into Now, on the other hand, when we meet that word, we notice that it is linked to Shinar, the land of Shinar in English. 
let me read it now the whole earth had one language and few words and as men migrated from the east they found a plain in the land of shinar and settled there again from the east it's like from the east eden and so on and i discuss this in the book it's interrelated but then they found a plain and bi'a is translated either as a plain or a valley but it is one word in hebrew originally bi'a in the land of shinar and settled there but then already in chapter 10 we hear kush became the father of nimrod he was the first on earth to be a mighty man he was a mighty hunter before the lord therefore it is said like nimrod a mighty hunter before the lord three times the repetition of mighty gibor the beginning of his kingdom was babel erik and akkad all of them in the land of shinar very clearly but then the interesting thing is that in hebrew nimrod means we rebel against god and it is precisely this word that is found in ezekiel at the beginning twice to speak about the rebellion of israel in babylon this is not there for someone who doesn't know hebrew <laughs> but again the text is in hebrew and we have thus already in chapter 10 a criticism a pre-criticism of what is going to be detailed in chapter 11 so we have babel and shinar already in chapter 10 and bi'a is introduced in chapter 11 now bi'a is interesting besides reflecting ezekiel it prepares for the play on the name babel again that is already in chapter 10 in conjunction with nimrod because the explanation of the name babel in chapter 11 does not make sense in the translations beginning with even the septuagint had trouble because it says therefore its name was called babel because there the lord confused the language of all the earth and people made up the fact that it is connected to the word confuse but if you hear it directly let's say someone who speaks arabic it is very clear that the root balal notice you have babel and then the verb in hebrew is balal confused which is until now in arabic to moisten it's very clear and i explain in my commentary on genesis that the trick here and the bible is filled with plays of this kind is that god kept his promise not to flood the earth and that was a solemn promise but then what he does he still uses water very important and again we're looking ahead to the waters where the egyptian princess found the basket of moses and then the people that crossed the waters and then the second generation that crosses the jordan and he sends a little bit of rain to moisten the clay now why is this important because to build you have to have a brick meaning that the clay has to dry but if you keep pouring water then it will never dry and become stony to be able to build 
And that's the play in 11 as to how the Lord destroyed. Very cunning. Still with water, but not through a flood. It is as though he made the building rot from inside, actually before the people were able to build it. And that, again, for someone who knows Ezekiel, is very important because Ezekiel is anti-anything that is big, building the temple. He has lengthy passages against the mountains and anything that is erected by human being, mainly palaces and temples. So already the entire message of the Bible is there, as I said in my book, that it is in 1 through 11, and it is already in 1 through 4. It's a compact message against the arrogance of man. Arrogance means either power with one's hand or power with one's wisdom. Remember the tree of the knowledge of the good and the evil. And it is ultimately God that gives life. You can see it. It's small, but it is again as in the Garden of Eden. The small source, a small river that is the source of the four mighty rivers surrounding the Syro-Arabian desert. Shinar, very interestingly, is found in Joshua, again, just to show my hearers that it's really super cunning, you know. Out of the blue, you have Shinar. Well, Shinar is found seven times in the Bible. 10, 11 in conjunction with Babel. In 14.1, we have a reference to the king of Shinar in 14.9 as one of the four kings that came from Babylon to attack the kings in Palestine. And then once in Daniel 1.2, which is again in conjunction with Mesopotamia. And then in Zechariah 5.11, again in conjunction with Mesopotamia. But then in Joshua 7.21, for no reason, we have the sin of this gentleman from the tribe of Judah. His name is Achan, who did something that really forced God to have his people fail in their attack against Ai. And his sin is described in the following way, Joshua 7.20, And Achan answered Joshua, Of a truth I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, obviously, what is functional here is the shekels of silver and the bar of gold that should have been a booty for God, the spoil. But what is the beautiful mantle of Shinar doing there? I mean, have you ever heard in your life anyone preaching on that? <laughs> Probably not. But that is the trick, as I explain it in my commentary on Joshua. Well, you eyed a mantle from Shinar. I'm going to send you way down the road after so many centuries to Shinar, and there you could have all the mantles you coveted. Powerful. Already in Joshua 7. So Shinar is obviously functional. Babel, as I explained, is functional. Bikar is functional. Is up to you 
to use the water to live with the little bit, like when you drink. I know nowadays people tell you that you have to drink eight glasses of eight ounces. Yeah, but it's still a little bit of water just for you to be able to live and not to be flooded. And there comes the function of marad. But if you rebel against God, notice what the people said in chapter 11. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Remember, we discussed Shem, which is the name. So they wanted to give themselves a name and thus fame, exactly as Adam in chapter 6. Anshe Hashem, men of name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. But the spreading of the nations was willed by God. They did not want to spread. They wanted to be unified by their own will. And as a footnote, this is precisely the teaching of the Bible against the entire tradition of those who say that they read and follow the Bible. They stress so much the oneness, the coming together, like on Sundays or Saturdays. <laughs> well, when you come together, my dear friend, you come together, it's your decision. But the kahal, the ecclesia of God, the gathering of God, is done, as later we shall hear in the law, by the call, kara, kaleo, of God. And thus, we are never a gathering, a church. We are an unwill gathering. We gather only by the will of God. Otherwise, we, like Nimrod, rebel, we show our force. Notice, I mean, around us, and we use also in unity, there is power and force and so on. No, it is in following the will of God. Even if he tells you at the end of Matthew, spread away among the nations and preach the name of the Lord. And here again, the twist is the play on two verbs that I discuss elsewhere. I mean, in my books on Genesis and land and covenant and in my latest, The Rise of Scripture, where we have a play on two words in Hebrew, the scatter and the spread. The spread is positive, is according to will of God. These two chapters are phenomenal, 10 and 11, and they introduce precisely the Toledot of Shem in 11.10, through whom we have shepherds culminating with Terah, the father of Abraham. And flocks do not congregate. A flock is a flock by the will of the shepherd. When he leaves them to graze, they go around, but they come back by his will when they hear his voice. So the sin of those who were in Shinar and Babel is that they refused the bikah, the little spot, the fountain. Notice the reference to the fountains in the Psalms. There is obviously another word for fountain, but it's important that in Ezekiel it's the stress that the glory of God did not appear in the temple. It appeared in the Bihar. And later, when the people misconstrued it in the temple, I mean later in the book of Ezekiel, 
I mean, the book of Ezekiel assumes that this glory left the temple because it's not its place. It's natural place, the Bikaw. That is why at the end of the book of Ezekiel, we have a reference to the Garden of Eden. Very powerful again. I would invite all my readers to, for one year, read Ezekiel, read Genesis 1 through 11, and read Leviticus. Just read again and again and again, and one will see this interconnection. Leviticus is very important because it is cast as a book where you have only laws and statutes. You have no movement, as it were. The movement is in Exodus and then resumes in Numbers. But you have a stop in Leviticus where you hear only words of God. And those who know the Hebrew tradition among the Jews, whereby the names of the five books of Moses are not called Genesis, Exodus, and so on, but they are called by the first word or two words found at the beginning of each book. And my hearers would have guessed that Leviticus is called Wayikra, and he called out unto Moses, Waidaber, and he spoke, and the subject is the Lord. Notice, it's not he spoke, but first he's called unto Moses to come to him. And in the book of Leviticus, we have repeatedly the reference to the congregations, or congregation repeated, which is from the same root as Karah to be called by. You are called three times a year to congregate and so on and so forth. So that is the message that comes out of this story that combines these three striking words because they are not found all over the place in the Bible. They are rare. Shinar is rare. Babel obviously is all over the place, but here we have its explanation with a verb balal, and then the marad connected with nimrod. And let me end by referring to something I repeat consistently, the trouble with classical theology that we all make, we all make, and it's very hard to fight against it. Take the presentation today. I was asked to speak about three words, and I try to get out of it as much as possible, but, you know, you're stuck because this is how the people like to hear you talk. They have a specific question, and they want your answer regarding the question they asked you. And I would like to end by inviting my hearers again and again. We have to stop asking what does scripture say about and then have a word or two or three or four it doesn't matter because when you say a word this word has already a meaning in your mind so you're forcing me and through me scripture to answer to something you have in your mind and that is the sin that's the sin of curiosity. Why and why not? 
remember those students in my class, you know, who would say, why not? <laughs> why not? You know, they ask you a question, you answer and you dismantle what they have in their mind. They said, no, but you didn't convince me. Why wouldn't it be otherwise? The question, my friends, has to be, what does scripture say? Period. And we get stuck because it's a story that is repeated ad nauseum, the same story again and again. You find it in chapter 2, then in chapter 4, then in chapter 6, then in chapter 10, then in chapter 11, and then at the end you have a very lengthy expanded story that ends in the land of Shinar, as we read in the books of kings. All the kings, one after the other, are presented in this way. They have sinned against the law of the Lord. And if you are interested through curiosity to other things they have done, check with the books of their annals that were in the library of the temple and assumedly were destroyed when Jerusalem was sacked. So please, again, let us remember, what is scripture saying? And then you try to hear what it is saying without any extra curiosity questions. Remember how sometimes the people during coffee hour after the sermon say, Father, you know, that it was, it, it doesn't matter. The sermon is done. Just get out of it whatever you can in order for you to make sure that you are following the will of the Lord. Okay. And many of our questions are not included in the will of the Lord. And if you're not convinced with this statement, read the magnificent chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians about the thorn in the flesh. People say, ask and your question will be answered if the Lord wills. Because in the case of Paul, he told him, it doesn't matter. My power lies in your weakness. Isn't this precisely what chapter 11 is saying? Notice in chapter 11, let me repeat that, there is a play on two words. Let's not enter into them now. For those who know Hebrew, farad or parad, and then futs, that differentiate between to spread according to the will of God and to be scattered as a punishment. But again, God is the master who plays on his punishment in order to spread his word. And that will culminate in the fact that when Israel, the biblical Israel, was spread unto punishment among the nations around the Syrian wilderness, there the Lord, or more specifically his word, was implanted as a fruit tree, remember Ezekiel 34, around the spots of water in the desert. It is impressive. It is definitely impressive. So Father Mark was right when he said at the beginning that he could imagine when he sent me the topic that I would be beaming. Actually, I should be careful not to beam unto being scattered, <laughs> but to beam out of the joy that is given through this little bit of water. That is why ultimately only a shepherd or a sheep of the desert can appreciate a little bit of water because it's an 
arid land where you are thirsty. Remember in the movies of the westerns, you know, and someone has been without water for a long time, the hero tells him, hold his head or her head in his arm and say, drink a little bit, not too much. I love those movies. I mean, all my students know that I love westerns. All the other movies are no movies for me. That's why I have a lengthy series of recorded bonanza, which I watch at least once a day, again and again and again and again. Okay, very important. Obviously, Nevada is not the Syrian desert, but it's close enough. That's okay. You hinted at it already, but Babel is related to Babylon. But then they give this strange etymological definition that it's related to Balal, which it doesn't seem like it is. And so the author is obviously trying to make a point with this by giving this, let's call it a false etymology. I like the word false because false brings truth on the other side. And our trouble is that we want to impose on the author to say what is correct. But the author wants to say what the author wants to say. And on purpose, he used that verb. And my explanation is precisely because we are dealing with bricks and the people were confused. So in the Septuagint, because it's very hard to render what the original author wanted to say. And there is another sign for me that tells me in opposition to all the other scholars that they were different and didn't know what to do without it. I think, as I defend in my book, that the authors of the Septuagint are the same, but they try to present the text as much as possible in Greek and indirectly, which I don't know if anyone before me said that, but it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to play on my ego, but it's very important that their intention was to make the reader of only Greek, which would be the Hellenes, the followers of Alexander, that something is missing if you don't know the original. And this is said in the preamble to the book of the wisdom of Sirach. This is where I discovered it. <laughs> that it is intentional. But the Septuagint is still intelligent. In other words, to keep with the movement in the story, the author introduced the meaning of confusion, which contradicts what the people were at at the beginning of chapter 11, where they speak one language. But because it was of their doing, and one should read my commentary on that, I think the translation in English is incorrect, but let's not go in this direction. So their unity was concocted by them. Remember, in chapter 10, already with Noah, as we said, we have suddenly three children together. The Toledot of Shem does not begin except in verse 10 of chapter 11. But until now, we heard of the three sons together. Remember, it's three. Let's not take an aside and go into the theological jargon about the Trinity and so on. I mean, it's a vain talk. We have three children that are together, and yet you have three sets of nations. But we discussed in an earlier podcast when we said that the realm of Ham and Shem overlap. And thus we have three kinds of people. And that's the way it is. And you have to stay where you are and you do your work where you are. It's like you were born in Nevada. You were born in Nevada. I was born in Palestine. I was born in Palestine. Now, 
try to figure out, don't figure anything, just live your life. But when you force unity, as empires tend to do, it's not good, not according to the will of God. So to go back to specifically your question that the Septuagint, if you hear it per se, it makes sense, but it is playing on the confusion of the languages. They couldn't understand one another and thus, you know, they could not continue working. It's like when you're speaking English and then suddenly you hear different languages. It makes sense. But again, the original is very clear when the authors introduced this balal that drew my attention to the water. And perhaps, I don't know, it would be nice for someone to study that the mention of Bika'a is very interesting. Remember, Bika'a does not appear except in 11. It's not connected with the Shinar of Nimrod in 10. It's a small spot of waters where you can't have buildings and so on. And yet the people wanted to build. And he said, okay, that's the way you want it. I'm going to use the water to keep pouring it on the clay and you'll never be able. The Septuagint makes sense on its own and the Hebrew makes sense on its own. All of our listeners appreciate the effort that you put to help people who do not have a command of the Hebrew language get access to this wisdom and to this knowledge about the text. So very appreciative for this morning's discussion. Perhaps here my curveball regarding Balal should apply to another curveball. Earlier I asked my hearers to read Ezekiel, Leviticus, and Genesis 1 through 11. How about in the first year they learn Hebrew? See? <laughs> now now I learned my lesson from Genesis 11, and I'm trying to imitate the original author. <laughs> His Balal is a curveball to connect things together. Anyway, again, let us remember that it is God who is the congregator. O Kalon, very early in Galatians, which is the blueprint of the New Testament, you have run away very quickly from the one who calls you. O Kalon, Kalundos, Kalisandos. But then in our translations, the call happened once. No, he keeps calling. If you come together as a congregation, not called by God, then you are under the sword of Damocles, which is found in Scripture, where the evil congregation is referred to with the same noun, kahal. So the word kahal, ecclesia, when you hear the Orthodox, you think that it's a word that started in eternity and it's always good. No, those who gathered against, remember those who came in the Gethsemane, gathered to come. Anyway, one more time, I need to say this, and let's end on this tone that the question has always to be, what is scripture saying? And when one realizes that, that on purpose, it's lengthy, by the time you finish it, you will not have time, let alone energy to ask your question, because that is the sin of Adam and Eve and the devil, the tempter. You want an answer to your question. How many times we hear around it, but I am entitled to my questions. Not in scripture, brother and sister. No one is entitled except Elohim.
as I say in my book when I discuss the difference between Elohim and Yahweh. Only Elohim is entitled, and Yahweh only as Elohim. Okay, thank you, Messrs. Thank you very much, Father. Thanks, Father. You have okay. a great week. We'll always appreciate these conversations. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.